So two weeks ago, we talked about how do we know that we know that we know that we know God, because ISIS claims to know God, and on the far end of the other spectrum, there's people living in open, blatant sin, and they claim to be Christians and, and be saved, and how can we know where the truth is? How can we know that we know God? Because Jesus said that not everybody who calls him Lord is actually saved. So if we could put that scripture up, I'm going to give you a five-minute recap in case you weren't here two weeks ago or haven't gotten online to listen to it. But uh, give you a five-minute recap, and then we're, I'm going to do part two here. Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So here Jesus is describing this group of people that think they know who God is and how he behaves and how he wants them to behave. And like I said two weeks ago, ISIS totally believes that they've got God pegged and that God wants them to kill Christians and Jews and and anybody else that doesn't follow Sharia law, and God will reward them for doing so. That's what they think. On the other end of the spectrum, we've got people who claim to be Christians, but they're totally unrepentant of their sin, and, and they, they think they know God, and that God is just love, and there is no hell, and there is no condemnation, there is no judgment. God will just let everyone into heaven regardless of how they've lived life. Jesus said, there's a lot of people that will claim to know me, but they don't. Only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Because many people will call me Lord, but I will say, I never knew you. So my question two weeks ago was, how can we know that we're not in this group? I do not want to be in that group. I don't want to be a deluded believer. I don't want to be a hypocrite believer who thinks that I'm okay with Jesus and I'm not. Hello? I don't want to be in this group. I hope you don't either. So we talked about this at length. If you need to go online and listen to the sermon from two weeks ago, please do. But I'll just give you a real brief recap. God is so good. He's so kind. He's so gentle. He has dropped the answer in our lap. How can we know that we know that we know the truth? How can we know that we are saved? First John says we can assure our hearts before him. We can be sure. How can we be sure? Well, here we go. First John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. There we go. John, the apostle of love, says, Beloved, meaning he's writing to us, the church, Christians, he says, let us love each other. Because everybody who loves other people knows God. And everybody who doesn't love other people doesn't know God. It's really, really simple. God has just laid it in our lap and says, here, you can know for sure. You can, you can know that you know me. Do you love my people? Yeah? If you don't love, you don't know God. We can know that we know God. It's measurable. It's practical. It's relevant in every way to daily life. The next scripture, also from 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 to 19, says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us love in word 
Not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and can assure our hearts before him. We can know that we have the truth. If you are taking care of people and not loving just in your words and saying that you love God and saying you love people, but it's actually measurable, practical, what have you done lately? What have you given? How have you served? Then you can assure your hearts. You can be sure that you know the truth, that you're walking in love. Next scripture is 2 John verse 6. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning. You should walk in it. Here John lays out what love is. What is the love that God requires to obey God? When we obey God, we are loving other people and we're loving God. There is no other way. There is no other definition of love other than how God has defined it in his word. And back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So I'm recapping two weeks ago. The question was, how can I know that I know Jesus? And I'm not calling him Lord, but he really isn't. We don't need to live in fear that on the day of judgment we'll appear before Jesus and, oh no, I'm in that group. Here it is, right here. We can know. We can know. Whoever does not practice righteousness, meaning whoever sins and excuses it or blows it off or is not repentant, they don't know God. And whoever doesn't love people does not know God. Even if they say they're a Christian, even if they go to church, if they are a hypocrite in the area of sin, or if they are unloving, they're not saved. We can know. We can know. So, two weeks ago, the question was, how can we know that we know God? And the answer is, love people and obey God's commands. It's really easy. It's pretty simple. I know it's not easy to obey and to get it all right, but I just mean the instruction is pretty easy. Is obey what God has said, right here, and love the people in your life. Because as we love people, you will find out who God is and how he thinks and what he wants. As you love your spouse through the good and the hard times, you will figure out who God is. As you love your children... When they're sweet and when they're hellious rebels, you will learn who God is and how he thinks. As you love an enemy who is intentionally lying about you, as you walk through that in selflessness and trying to do the right thing toward this person who is treating you wrong, you'll figure out who Jesus was. You will come to know him. Through the good times and terrible suffering. As we learn to love people in all of the situations that that becomes in life. You'll figure out God. You'll come to know who he is and why he has said what he has said. From everything from paying taxes to adultery. Why did he say what he said? Well, it's because it's love. Because John said, if you obey God, you'll be loving people. It's, it's 
really, it's really simple. I know it's not simple to live out, but it's really simple instruction. My, the, I want to address this qu- same question, but a different direction today, is how can we know that we really, truly know the truth? How can we know that we know God? Because I don't want to be in that deluded group that thinks they do, but when Jesus returns, he says, no, you can't be with me. I never knew you. So what does it mean to know Jesus? And really, what does it mean to know anything? I'm going to say the same thing again today, but in a different direction. We have a very large group of people who think that to know something, you need to learn it in a class. Study it in a book, sit under a teacher, uh, something like that. Go to school, basically. That knowledge comes from reading, learning, studying, taking notes, and tests. But actually, in real life anything, knowledge comes from experience. I did not learn how to be married to Sarah by reading a book. I learned how to be married to Sarah by being married to Sarah. We did not learn how to be parents by reading a book. We read some of a couple of books before Freedom was born, but by day two, those things were gone. (laughs) Especially with Freedom. Uh, (laughs) In real life anything, we don't learn by reading a book. We learn by doing it. Trial and error. So what I see is that we live in a world, in a culture, that values some sort of head education more than real experience. If you don't know, I was a school teacher for 10 years, and in those 10 years, I had four or five student teachers. And not a single one of my student teachers had ever taught school. By definition, they're college students coming up through college learning to be a teacher. But Two of my four student teachers were earning their master's degree. They were getting a master's in education, and neither one of them had ever taught class. But we are going to call them a master of education when they have mastered this much. Because they got in a classroom full of high school kids and at least one of them, one of them completely crashed and burned. Because now he's gone through five years of college and he has all the accompanying debt. And his head is full of garbage from the professors about what education is. And he comes in and he finds out, I hate 16-year-olds! <laughs> and I, told, I would have told him, and you're also a terrible communicator. And they hate you (laughs) because you are not cut out to be a teacher. But he is a master of education, and the world says that because he took classes. But he's never done it at all. And guess what? Almost none of the professors of education at Eastern have ever taught school. We have people who can graduate with a Master of Business Administration an MBA, they are a master of business who have never started a business or managed anything, and they are taught by professors who have never run a business. How stupid! (laughs) Knowledge comes from experience. 
Bible colleges do the same thing. The church does the same thing. We send 18-year-olds to Bible college. Four years later, at 22 years old, they graduate with a degree from seminary or Bible college or whatever, and all of a sudden, a 22-year-old is ready to lead a congregation because they have head knowledge about what's in the Bible. There might be an exceptional young person in their 20s who's ready to lead something, but usually not. As Pastor Gary Duckworth says, the younger you are, the dumber you are. <laughs> you know, in when Solomon dies and his son Rehoboam takes over and makes that terrible mistake of not listening to the elders. You remember this? The elders tell him you need to ease the taxes and the requirements on, on your subjects and they will love you. And it says, the young men who had grown up with Rehoboam. Rehoboam was 41. It says, the young men who were idiots because they hadn't lived life yet. They were 41. It says the young men who were foolish because they hadn't lived life, he followed their advice. I'm only 41, just so you know. So I put myself in that category. No 22-year-old has any business leading a church. We got a pe- people who hire kids out of Bible college, though, because they have a degree. Because we value class learning more than life learning. You with me? Thank God we don't do this with pilots or heart surgeons. Uh, This is the cockpit of an airplane. I don't know what size jet this is or what kind of jet it is. The next picture is actually the cockpit of the space shuttle Endeavor. There's a lot of buttons. There's a lot of switches. There's a lot of lights. We can't just read a book and go in and fly this thing. The co-pilot has to spend a lot of time with an experienced pilot to know what to do with all those lights and switches and dials. And, Ooh, let's, what's this do? <laughs> all right? But here, nothing I'm saying means that we don't need book learning because the co-pilot has spent... Many, 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 many hours in class reading and learning about all the stuff about flight and the mechanics of the airplane and the controls and, and all that stuff before he even gets to get in the co-pilot seat, right? So we cannot just go out and live life however we want and think, oh, I don't need to read the instructions. I'll just go do it my way. No, we read the instructions, but you really don't know anything until you do it. Hello? Well, no, I'm a Christian because I read my Bible and I go to church. No, you're not a Christian until you do it in everyday life. But we can't just go out and do whatever and call that Christianity because there is an instruction book. The heart surgeon had better have had several uh, classes before anybody gives him a scalpel. He better know what's going on in here, right? Hours and hours of classes. And then how many hundreds of surgeries watching somebody else do it and then doing it with somebody who knows what they're doing and then eventually hundreds of brain surgeries or heart surgeries later will we'll let him or her cut on us by themselves, <laughs> 
Come on. Learning is experience. And in no way am I saying don't go to school or don't read or don't study in whatever your career is or your field of study or even in Christianity and Scripture. We have to read the book. But it doesn't change us and we don't really know it until we've gone out and done it. Because I can read in here, love my enemy, but until I actually love somebody that hates me, I haven't actually learned or done anything. You can come to church and I can tell you love your spouse when they're your enemy. But until you actually do that, you haven't actually learned anything. But when you do it, you will know God. Oh, this is how God feels. Oh, okay. Well, now I know him a little better. Come on. I'm very glad that uh, in some of things like pilots and heart surgeons and other careers and areas of life, electric linemen and so on, (laughs) that it's not just uh, study a class and and then go send them out to do their thing. we've We've got to know and do. Another thing about American culture is we are totally a spectator culture. And we aren't just spectators, we are judges. We sit and we judge the athletes. And we judge the politicians. And we judge the whoever. We watch it on TV. It's way more fun to sit in the stands and watch than to practice three hours every day. And sweat and work your tail off and actually participate. That's hard. I'll sit in my recliner in the air conditioning and watch the thing on TV. And then we bring that into Christianity too. We come to church and we watch. Come on. And we judge. Go home and have fried Mitch for lunch. We're, we're totally more about watching than participating. Entertainment over experience. Analysis over action. Well, if I was president, or if I was the boss, or if I was the, owned the company, or if I was the manager, or if I was the quarterback, if I was the coach, but then you try to do some of that, and you find out why they did what they did. I'm not saying every pastor or coach or president is great. I'm just saying... It's a lot harder to do it than it is to watch it and analyze it and judge it. But we're totally all about analysis and judgment and observation and entertainment. You can't bring that into Christianity, folks. We have to actually do it. Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord, but only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven. It's not a spectator sport. You don't come to church. And feel good because the music is good and hear a good sermon and then go home and forget about it and not live it out. If that's your version of Christianity, you are in the group that's calling Jesus Lord, but you don't know him. True knowledge comes from experience, from practice, from participation, from living through the event, on-the-job training. Come on, parents, you know. You cannot read books about how to rear a child. (laughs) Cannot read a book about how to be married. 
God has some fantastically perfect instructions. Same thing with children. Same thing with ministry. Same thing with anything. We've got to do it to know it. I didn't know, I didn't learn how to be married to Sarah from reading a book and really even from dating. Dating does not prepare us for marriage. Amen. Amen. It's a whole different experience. It's a whole different experience when it's 24-7 over the long haul for a lifetime. You learn love. You learn the other person. So theology is not head knowledge. It's not a belief. It's not even a faith that never sees fulfillment. We have to experience to do it in order to know God. And when I got my CDL years ago, I had to read the book. I had to. I have to know the laws and the rules and the procedures. But I did not learn how to drive an 18-wheeler until I got in the driver's seat behind the wheel and drove the 18-wheeler. Told you before, my first load was a triple-axle trailer that was overloaded and I was coming down the mountain road and I had no license. <laughs> it's, just, it's, too, it's a wild story. Anyway, I learned how to drive a truck real fast. <laughs> real fast. I learned because I did it. It's the same thing with art. Erin, our daughter, is into Bob Ross style painting right now. She can watch 47 Bob Ross videos on YouTube. But until she picks up a paintbrush, and she has. She's painting really great stuff. I got an awesome one for Father's Day. But she's not actually learning anything until she figures out how to do it for herself. Same thing with you. You can watch other people play guitar and really appreciate it and even understand music and know what they're doing, but it's a whole different deal to start trying to pick that out yourself. Boy, it's easy to sit out there and judge them when they make a mistake. Come on. Because you know what you're doing. You know about music. Uh Uh-huh, well, get up here and play. I have a Time Life book series of home improvement (laughs) that I bought like 17 years ago. And I have a plumbing project ahead of me that I need. I got to replumb our laundry room. We're moving our washing machine. And I can read that book. I watch YouTube videos on how to sweat the copper pipes. I understand it. I really do. I understand it. But I guarantee you it'll be a whole different deal when I'm under the house with this much headroom and I'm trying to drill holes and cut pipes and run the soldering iron and not burn my hand. Then I will learn it. (laughs) Then I will know it. (laughs) Come on. I understand it in principle. I really do. I I, I get it. But I don't know anything because I have done this much plumbing in my life. I would totally, zero, none. We, we learn by experience. We have to read the book. We have to know what God has said, but then we have to go out and do it. And in the doing is when we actually learn God. What are you laughing about? What's that? 
I do. I clean all the girl's hair out of the shower. Yeah, I, I know. I definitely know how to unscrew the drain cover and snake that shower pipe because we have four ladies in our house. I just noticed last night I need to do it again. Yeah, I, yeah I'm an expert pipe snaker if anybody needs that. That's the extent of my plumbing knowledge. Yeah. When we do love, when we act it out in practice, in everyday life, in practical, relevant, rubber-meets-the-road relationship, then we learn God. We know who God is. Ephesians 3, 17-19 says, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Guess what? The love of God surpasses knowledge. But we are able to know it. We can know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. You cannot read a book You cannot study the seminarians and the professors and learn God, but we can know it. How? Paul says his prayer is that we will be rooted and grounded in love so that we may know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. When we live and exist and draw our own very life, that's what roots do, when our very life is drawn out of God and love, we can know the love of God that surpasses all study and head knowledge and learning because you're experiencing it, because you're living it. You can read in Scripture that Jesus loved his enemies and forgave the people that crucified him, but you won't know him until you do it. I said we can... We can read the Bible and we can see what Jesus did and we can love him and like, wow, that's beautiful, that's awesome, that's amazing. I wish I was like that. But I guarantee you, when somebody, one of your children or your parents or your spouse goes psychotic on you and you have to love them in that, then you're like, oh, this is what that means. This is what that takes. Oh, it costs this much? It hurts this bad? Jesus, you did this for me? You will know Jesus in a way that you cannot know him in any other way until you have loved the people that are treating you wrong. So Jesus said, only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven are the ones who can call me Lord. So what is the will of his Father in heaven? We've already seen it. Love the brotherhood. Love your neighbor. Love your enemies. As we obey God, we are loving people. I just want to point this out. Some of you will be shocked by this. Others of you, this will be a no-duh kind of thing. But this love that God requires us to have is not a feeling. It does not mean be nice. Come on. When God says love your neighbor, it doesn't mean... You have to have all these ushy-gushy feelings about them. It just means treat them right. Do the selfless thing. Do the forgiving thing. Do the generous thing. Do the gracious thing. Jesus said, love your enemies. He did not say, don't have enemies. Come on. There is a brand of Christianity in the world that is taking 
really fast route that really disturbs me, and it's a be nice kind of Christianity. It is, we have to be nice to everybody and accept everybody and everything, that Jesus just wants us to go out and be kind. When God says, love your neighbor and love your enemies, it doesn't mean that we're going to have these feelings for him, because there's people you like and there's people you don't. But we don't get to choose who we love. If you define love as a feeling, then you're gonna, we're going to miss it. Because there's a lot of people you're going to have bad feelings about that you still have to love. We still have to forgive. We still have to treat them kindly. Jesus said, love your enemies. He didn't say, don't have enemies. He said, you will have enemies, love them. There's nothing we can take out of reading scripture that says that if everybody likes us, then we're, we've accomplished love. When the, it, was the Old Te, it was the Old Testament Israel versus all their neighbors. It was the Old Testament prophets that Israel hated and martyred. Jesus and the Pharisees, the apostles and the world, including the rest of the church. They were continually having to rebuke and correct the false church. In fact, Jesus said, if there's not people that want to kill you, you're really not my disciple. Hello. Jesus said, you are a false believer if everybody likes you. So this love that we are commanded to have is not the kind of love that goes out and makes everybody our friend. Because we're just so nice. Love your enemies doesn't mean don't have enemies or be nice and welcoming to anyone and everything. You know you have to do other things in the Lord by faith. Well, we have to love some people by faith. Some people are easy to love and we like them. Other people, it would take real faith for you to forgive them or to be kind to them or to want to spend time taking care of their needs. Do it anyway. That's the love that God commands. Because love is a verb. It is an action. Any DC talkers from 1992... Love is a verb. It's an action. It's not a feeling. We have so totally misdefined that word in English. The way the Bible uses the word love, it is an action that does the right thing. God says, to love people, obey me. That's what he says, First John, we already saw it. It's doing the right thing, the forgiving thing, the patient thing, the selfless thing. Even, we don't have to feel like it. So you may have a neighbor that you're not all that attracted to or friendship or a coworker that isn't all that likable. Love, love them anyway. God's command is not that we like everybody and get along with everybody. It is treat everybody right. Jesus' specific command is treat everybody the way you want to be treated. Hello. Right? Well, there's people that don't like you either. How do you want them to treat you? You be that way. The Bible does not say that God has ushy-gushy feelings for everybody, but it does say he loves everyone. Right? In fact, Scripture says God hates sinners. That is an, that's an exact quote from a verse. Another verse says he is angry with them every day. But it also says... He loved them so much that he gave his son. 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God has feelings toward people, and they're not always lovey-dovey. With some people, he's very angry, but he loves them. Love is not a feeling. Love is the way we treat people with respect and honor, graciousness, generosity, take care of their needs. Even the ones that are hard to take care of. So we do love. We may feel it, and feelings will come. You may find out that person you thought was so obnoxious, you have more in common with them than you think. Or maybe you hear their story and you're like, oh, well, no wonder. I can love this person. I didn't know that was 20 years ago in her past. I can love that. Come on, feelings can come, but they may not always be there. Up front, we love anyway. We do love. We may may not feel it, but we do it. So forgive. Be generous. Serve in the church and serve your neighbor. Do the work that the widows need done on your street and in the church. The elderly, the disabled, do the work they need done. Give time to converse and actually care about somebody that's hurting. Have compassion on those in bad circumstances. Take care of those who are in pain or in weakness. Take a meal to somebody. Invite somebody over for dinner after church. Go out to dinner. Take them to your house. Just take care of people. Share out of your garden. This stuff is really practical, everyday life stuff that I know most of you are doing already. Send monthly support to a missionary. Give of your finances to take care of somebody else. Do something extra generous to somebody that's wronged you. Jesus said, be kind to those who have used you. Let me say that again. Jesus said, be kind to those who have used you and abused you. It's in the same passage where he says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully used you. Do good to those who have used you. Do something good. There won't be a whole lot of feelings in that. But when you obey Jesus, your feelings will change. Come on. So teach your kids class on Sunday morning. Give your time some way to the Lord, to the church. Love that family member. Now it stings. (laughs) Ooh, ooh, that's hard. When you do love, you will know God in a way that you cannot know any other way. Yes, read your Bible. Yes, take a class. Yes, come to Bible study. Do the internship. We try very hard to make it not just a Bible study, but practical life, healing for you and ministry training and and, and all of that. Yes, 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 do it. But no amount of sermons or Bible studies or trainings will work until you actually do it in your family, in your office, in your classroom. Do love and you will know God. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for your love, for your instruction, your correction to us. Thank you for your gentle training, your patience, Lord. We do want to know you. We want to be like you. We want to know your heart. We want to see your face. 
We want to know your glory. We want to live in continual Holy Spirit life. So we commit this morning to live in love. To forgive over and over again. To love our spouses. To love our children and our parents and our brothers and sisters. To love the people in this church. To love our neighbor. To love our enemies. Lord, right now we release forgiveness toward those that may have hurt us. Lord, we will obey your instruction in how to love them. That obnoxious coworker, that rebellious student in the classroom, that hard-to-love spouse, that hard-to-love dad, we will love them. We will represent you. We will obey you. We will be open doors for your kingdom and your Holy Spirit to come in and change the situation. Lord, forgive us for being selfish with our time. We will serve the widows and the elderly, those around us, in your name, Lord, not just to be nice, but to serve them in your name. We will give our time, both in church and in our neighborhood, in our family. We don't want to be those that love in word and in tongue, but in actual deed and truth. That we live out your love, Lord, so that we may know you.